Let's read 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Brother, we've been looking at this church, the early church here, devoted, devoted. I've been trying to stir us up here and encourage us that we would be a people who, who walk in the footsteps of these Christians, brethren. That we would be a people who are devoted to the things of the living God. And specifically here. So we've looked at being devoted to the Word, the Apostles' teaching. We talked about being devoted to the fellowship, to the, to the communion of the saints, being devoted to one another, uh, encouraging one another and helping one another. And then last time I preached the other week, we looked at being devoted to the breaking of bread, and I talked about specifically there us being devoted to eating with one another and for us to really uh, try to have a deeper sense of what we're doing in the fellowship meal every Sunday after church, uh, a small taste of the kingdom of heaven to come in the future, brethren. And also now today we're going to look at being devoted to the prayers or being devoted to the times of prayer. I want to read to you a little story about Charles Spurgeon. Uh, maybe some of you have heard this before, but Spurgeon preached in the 1800s, and uh, he is called the Prince of Preachers. The Spirit of God really empowered this brother's ministry uh, to have an impact even still today. I want to read to you a little, little story about him. Early one Sunday morning in London, that's where Spurgeon's church was at, in the late 1800s before the church services started, Charles Spurgeon gave a visiting friend a tour of his church building, known as the Metropolitan Tabernacle. The visitor was fascinated with the building and architecture as he was in the spiritual endeavors of the church. His friend asked Spurgeon, how is it you have had such a successful ministry in this place for so long and which has drawn such multitudes of people. Spurgeon replied that it was due to the furnace in the basement. The stunned man asked to see this marvelous furnace, unable to imagine how and why such an appliance would have that effect. Spurgeon took him to the basement of the church where they found early on a Sunday morning no less than 1,000 people gathered for prayer. And his friend declared, Behold, the church furnace. Brethren, I want to exhort us this morning and encourage us in the corporate prayer meeting. Brother, if we're going to have the blessing of God upon anything we do, we need to be a people devoted to the times of prayer. We have got to believe that we will not accomplish anything 
anything, brethren, apart from the desperate pleadings to God to move, to move upon men's hearts, to move in this world, to move in Peru, to move in this city, to move, brethren. The Scriptures also, church, they lay before us some glorious realities, some really encouraging things. Really encouraging things here, brethren, that flow out of, of, of the gathered prayer meeting of God's people. When we gather together for prayer, and we're going to look at this in the Bible, when God's people gather together for prayer, glorious things, glorious things happen. And I want to encourage us in here this morning. Brethren, this is the characteristic of a biblical church. Corporate prayer. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, first of all then, first of all, first of all, Timothy, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Remember, Paul says later in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says, Timothy, I write these things to you so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the church of the living God and the household of God. Brother, if someone were to ask you how they should behave as a Christian, how a church should, should, should walk in their conduct, if they were to ask you, what is, what is the most important thing to be? Would you tell them, first of all, you must be a church of prayer. You must be a church devoted to prayer. It is a first of all matter. Brethren, God's house in the Scriptures is called a house of prayer. And we see that there in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. This is what the Lord says. He says, I will make them joyful in my house of prayer, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. A house of prayer. You know, I was reading back through our, um, on the church website, you know, the characteristics of, 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 of what we want to be like as a church, or we think uh, is biblical. Well, how does a biblical church function? And brethren, you know this. We place a heavy emphasis on corporate prayer. On corporate prayer. And we use this verse here on the website. That God's house ought to be a house of prayer. And brethren, who and what is God's house? Yes, this is God's house. But we are God's house, brethren. We are the people of God. The house of God. And we ought to be a people devoted to the times of prayer. Now, we see this here. We see this in Acts. Acts chapter 2, brethren. These people, they were saved. They were baptized. They believed the Gospel. 3,000 souls added to the church. And immediately, they are a people devoted to prayer calling upon the name of the Lord together. All of them, men, women, rich, poor, all of them, brethren, they devoted themselves to the times of prayer. Now, you may say, well, Manny, we have a prayer meeting on Wednesday, and you know, if, if I don't show up to prayer enough times in a row, I'm getting a phone call by one of the pastors. Hey, where are you? We gotta, you got to be at prayer, brother. So aren't we devoted to the prayer meeting? Well, yes, brother. In a sense, that's good. Yes, we have a weekly prayer meeting. We, we, we try to model that also in our, in our gathered meetings together. We open in prayer. We close with prayer. All these different things. But brother, what I have found, very, I love this text in the Bible, and I'm going to tell it to you in a second, because it has always encouraged me 
in wanting to repeat something that I think you already know and for us to go a little bit deeper and beyond what we already know. It's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to this. I intend always to remind you of these qualities, Peter says, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Brother, that's my heart here this morning. To stir you up by way of reminder. We teach weekly on prayer. We have some kind of exhortation every single week about prayer. And brother, my desire this morning is to stir you up by way of reminder. And that is fitting. It's okay for us to, 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 to teach on prayer all the time, brethren. Because there's always something that we could go to. We always need to be stirred up in this. Why? Because the flesh hates prayer. It does, brethren. And you know it. You can come to the prayer meeting every single week and not be devoted to prayer. You know that. Just how you can have ten Bibles in your house and not be devoted to the Word of God. So, brethren, we need to be encouraged here. And I want to encourage you here. I want to encourage you because we're doing this. But, but... Oftentimes what happens is we get in, into this, uh, this kind of this, this, this rote kind of, yes, Wednesday, okay, we go to the prayer meeting. Wednesday, okay, we go to the prayer meeting. Wednesday, okay, we go to the prayer meeting. Brethren, we need to be stirred up here. Because what I've been looking at in the Scriptures that, and, and, and what I want to show you and encourage you is what flows out of the corporate prayer meeting. Now, listen, you ought to be men and women devoted to private prayer. That's not what I'm talking about here today. There could be a lot said about prayer. But I'm talking specifically being devoted to the times of prayer. Corporate prayer. When the church gathers together that we, by way of reminder, would be devoted to it, brethren. I want you to see it again as of first importance. I want to encourage you at the prayer meetings. Brethren, I want you to come to the meetings expectant. Expecting God to move. Knowing that we have met with the living God in our prayer meetings. Knowing that we come and we call upon the name of the Lord. And then we look and watch. We're looking for the answer to prayer. I want you to find joy in it, brethren. I want you to find joy in the prayer meeting. I don't want it to be a burden to you. Not a burden in prayer. Oh, joy. What a privilege. What a privilege we have as the people of God to gather, to lift up our petitions to the King of Kings. So, brethren, what I want to do this morning is a couple things. I want to show you first just a quick sweep through only the book of Acts. Brethren, you can, look, you can go all over the Bible, but I just want to show you in Acts just a quick sweep of the church devoted to prayer. And then I want to look at three things. I want us to look at what is our posture in corporate prayer, what is obtained through corporate prayer, and what is accomplished through corporate prayer. Just examining a few passages in the Bible to stir us up to be a people who believe, yes, we need to come to prayer and we need to call upon the name of the Lord. First, we have to understand this. Acts is a, the second volume of which book? Luke. Okay, this is really important. I'm not going to go a lot into this at all. But Luke wrote two, two, two books and they're to be read together. They're to be studied together. The Luke-Acts uh, uh, volume, volume, Acts is volume 2. So brethren, right away, just go back to Luke. I want to just show you something here. Even though we're going to look at Acts, but I want to go to Luke. Go to Luke chapter 1. Because Luke, in Luke's Gospel and in Acts, gives a lot of attention to corporate prayer. 
a lot of attention to prayer and also the Spirit. But we see it right here in Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 10. Actually, uh, you can read verse 8. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, this is uh, Zechariah. This is uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Remember, this is John the Baptist's parents. While he was serving as priest before God, his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood. He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. You've got to see it right here. You have the people gathered. They, are, they see Zechariah going to the temple at the hour of incense. And they are outside gathered and they are gathering in prayer. And this is when Zechariah gets the vision. He's going to have a son. Elizabeth is barren. He's going to birth John the Baptist. He's going to be the forerunner of the, of, of, of the Christ. But right away in Luke's gospel, you have a gathering of corporate prayer. The people of God gathering for prayer. So just want to show you that because Luke has it right in the first 10 verses of his, of his account. Now go to Acts chapter 1. And I just want to read these to you. And I don't want to preach on them because I'm going to preach on them in a minute. Uh, but I just want to read them to you. Acts chapter 1. We read it in the New Testament reading. Verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Right away, you got the apostles, you got these women devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42. Just read it. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now go to the next chapter. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. These are men devoted to the times of prayer. They go up to the temple. Chapter 3, verse 1. Next chapter. Chapter 4. You know the story here. Peter and John, they get into some trouble. And then starting in verse number 23... When they were released, they went to their friends, that's the church here, and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, the church, they, the church, lifted their voices together to God and said. Here it is again, a corporate prayer meeting. They are praying to God in light of what happens to Peter and John. I'm going to come back to this text in a little bit. Go to chapter 6. Let's flip your Bibles over there. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you from seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we, may, we will appoint to this duty. Verse 4, But we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. The apostles are devoted to prayer. Go to chapter 12. Starting in verse 1. About this time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. 
And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Again, a corporate prayer meeting. Peter's in jail. He's about to die. The church prays him out of prison. Go to chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. When they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Brethren, we have a time of corporate worship. In that, there's fasting, there's worship going on. Undoubtedly, there's prayer, they're seeking the Lord. The Lord says, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have for them. Boom, and it bursts the missionary movement. Paul and Barnabas were sent out to the Gentiles to go proclaim the gospel, plant churches, and they pray, they send them off. That is birthed out of a prayer meeting, a time of worship and fasting. Go to Acts 14. Starting in verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Brethren, they go back through the, all these churches that were established, they appoint elders for them, and they appoint them with prayer and with fasting. Gathering together to call upon the name of the Lord to strengthen and establish these new elders, these pastors of these churches, through prayer, corporate prayer, brethren. Go to Acts chapter 16. Get the idea here. This is, this is almost happening in every single chapter. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and she was baptized, her household as well. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Verse 16, And we were going to the place of prayer. They met a slave girl. More on this later. But again, the point is this, brethren. There's another corporate prayer meeting going on here. And here, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they go to this place of prayer. Another corporate prayer meeting. One more. God's people getting together for prayer. Chapter 20. In the context here, Paul has gathered the Ephesian elders 
and he lays out to them uh, his final speech to them. He will, he will see them no more. And he says in verse number 36 here, after he had finished of chapter 20, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Brethren, they're there on the beach together. I don't know how many of them. Certainly a number of them. And it's one last prayer meeting with Paul before he goes off never to see these men again. Brethren, in all of these examples, we see the church given, given to gathering together for prayer. And I didn't even mention all the times of individual prayer. That's all over Acts 2, but that's not my point this morning. So you look at the Bible, brethren, and we see constantly that the people of God are devoted. They are devoted to gathering together for prayer. Now, brethren, what I want you to see now is that, yes, okay, they're gathering for prayer, but brethren, I want to encourage us here. What is the posture of corporate prayer? What is our attitude when we come and gather together in the prayer meeting when we call upon the name of the Lord? And I want to go back here to Acts chapter 4, and I want to encourage you in a couple of things here, church. Acts chapter 4. I want to just look at a couple of these. What is our posture in prayer? What, what, what is the attitude of our heart when we come and gather before God? And brother, you know the story here. Peter and John, they go and they heal a crippled man. And the leaders of the Jews don't like this very much at all. They threaten them. Verse 21 of chapter 4. They found no reason to punish them because of the people, for they were praising God for what had happened. This sign was performed on a man more than 40 years old. The church is facing persecution here, brother, and they're facing suffering, they're facing trials. Things are going on among them. The gospel is being opposed. And verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel uh, uh, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Brethren, I want you to see something here. Our posture in the prayer meeting, first of all, is this. Brethren, one of earnestness. Earnest. Earnest prayers to God, brethren, in desperation. Brother Nick just talked about it. Perfect example of that. 
This earnest investment of, 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 of the help of God. Brother, we need the help of the living God. And they're earnest in it, brethren. They lift up their voices to the Lord. Brother, this speaks of, of, of speaking loud in a loud tone so that they could hear one another. And they cried out to God. Brethren, there are times. There are times in the prayer meeting you got to let it go, brethren. Cry out to the living God. we got to see that we are an earnest people. we got to feel the desperation at times, brethren. we got to understand. We, we, we are talking about souls here. We're talking about, about, about situations that are, that are urgent upon us, brethren. Think about the things we pray for. Does it not call for earnestness? Does it not call for desperation? It most certainly does. They saw their need and they pled to God. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not going to qualify everything here, okay? Does that mean you've got to scream and shout in the prayer meeting? No. But brethren, you see what I'm talking about here. When there's a need, brethren... We ought to pray with, with, with earnestness and with desperation. You get the same, the same idea there in Luke chapter 17, verse 13. These ten lepers, they come and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Crying out to the Lord, Lord, have mercy on me. Help me, Lord. I mean, it would not be fitting if Jesus was walking by and they're covered in leprosy, they're unable to come in, they're unable to enter the kingdom, or or, or they're unable to enter the temple, they're cast out of the city, and it would not be appropriate for them as Jesus walked by and they go, Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm not going to listen to that, brethren. I'm not going to listen to that. It's a pleading, Lord. Now they don't got to yell and scream, but brethren, you see what I'm talking about here? There's There's a desperation here. Lord, we need you. Lord, come. Come and help. Lord, look at their threats, they say. Look upon their threats. What they're saying about your people. And grant us to have boldness. And brethren, we see it all over the Bible. Men and women calling out to God with intensity, with fervency. Moses crying out to God. The Egyptians are pursuing. David, crying out to God, pursued by Saul. Joshua, crying out to God. Why were we destroyed at Ai? Brethren, we see it also in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Peter is in jail. You think that's a time for earnestness? His life is on the line, brethren. And we see the church here. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Brethren, they have a need and they run right to the Lord. They run. They didn't go file a complaint with the city council. They didn't, they, they didn't run to the policemen. They didn't go tell Rome. They run right to the Lord in prayer. Earnest prayer. Pleading with God for Peter. And God answers that prayer, brethren, and He releases Peter. That's encouraging for us. That's encouraging. Brethren, God pays attention to earnest, desperate prayer. He pays attention to that, brethren. Just like parents, when your kid says something in passing, you know when they don't mean it. You know when they don't mean it. But when they begin to cry out, when they begin to have some intensity and then pleading for something, when you hear them screaming in the other room, that sure does get your attention, doesn't it? It most certainly does. Brethren, God hears and pays attention to the cry of His people. You know what the indictment was to Israel in Isaiah chapter 64? 
the indictment was this. There is none, no one who calls upon your name. None who rouses himself to take hold of you. There was none, brethren. None. None who came to pray. None who came to call upon the name of the Lord. And if, they, and if someone did come and pray to the Lord, it was filled with indifference. Brethren, we ought not be a people in the prayer meeting praying with a spirit of indifference. I mean, you think about some of the things we've been praying for. And ought not it call for earnestness? Praying for the salvation of people. Praying for entire nations to be saved by God. Or praying for a city, brethren, who's in the stronghold of the enemy. We ought to be a people praying with earnestness and desperation. God, move. Move upon this city, Lord. God, move upon the men at Peru. God, send the Gospel. Lord, save the people in Hong Kong. Lord, open up the doors in Nepal. Lord, spread the, the, the Gospel within China. Brother, we're talking about big matters here. Lord, I don't know when my paycheck's coming. You know what I often pray for us, church? And I'll just tell you this now. It's, might be, it might not encourage you, but it's okay. I pray for us constantly, I pray in my own life, that if I will not and we will not be a people of desperate prayer, that God would bring situations into our life to make us a people of desperate prayer. To teach us. To teach us prayer. Brother, you know how it is. We get comfortable. We get comfortable. And when you get comfortable, what happens? What's that? Oh, well, we, what, well, what happens? Well, yes, sure, sin. The sin of what? The sin of prayerlessness, that's right. The sin of sloth and ease. Oh, brother, it happens to all of us. Lord, don't make me comfortable. I don't want to be comfortable. Brother, we've got to be a people who are, who, who, who are looking. Lord, yes, we need You here, Lord. Lord. I mean, when you're changing jobs, does that not call, cause you just to pray, Lord, right, brother? I mean, has your prayer life, prayer life not increased lately? It most certainly has. Why? Because you're desperate. Right? Amen? Right? You're desperate. Sister, right? It's like, Lord, it, I mean, praying for Michelle, Lord, she can't, even, she can't catch a cold, Lord. Might kill her. Lord, have mercy on her. Pleading, pleading, and pleading. God hears that. Prayers, brethren. God is pleased to answer that. We have to rouse ourselves to lay hold of God, brethren. Rouse ourselves. That honors the Lord. And when we, in Isaiah 58, brethren, when we give ourselves to the poor, and when we cry out to the Lord, He will say, here I am. We cry out to Him. That's a promise for us. If we would give ourselves to that, brethren, we cry out to Him, He will say, here I am. Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry for help to the Lord, and He hears them and delivers them out of all their troubles. Oh, brother, maybe not cry out with indifference, but be earnest in the prayer meeting. And we have that. This is not a rebuke to you. I want to encourage you to grow in it more and more and more. And when you come to the prayer meeting, you have to understand, yes, I'm coming to the living God and I have, I have prayers and petitions to bring to Him. And they're desperate. And you cry out to the Lord, Lord, I need You here. Lord, we need You here. Lord, we, we don't have it in us here, Lord. Please, O oh God. We lift up our voice with a posture of earnestness and desperation. Also, brethren, one of helplessness. 
helplessness. That's what we see right here, brethren. They look to the Lord. In Acts chapter 4, they look to the Lord there. In Acts chapter 12, Lord, You have the power. Lord, look upon their threats. Lord, help us. Lord, grant to us boldness to proclaim the Gospel. Understanding, brethren, that we need to... Brethren, we need to understand that we we can't do it. (laughs) We can't do it, church. What did Jesus say in, in, in John 15? Without me, you can do nothing. You know what nothing means? It means nothing, brethren. Nothing. But you know what? We will not pray earnestly. We will not pray desperately until we realize that we are actually helpless and powerless. Isn't that, isn't that the case? Right, sister? I remember this is something that uh, Pastor Rollo, our, our old pastor at First Baptist, I will always remember because it just hit me like a ton of bricks. He made a passing comment in a Bible study uh, that he used to have in his office. And, and, and he said this in passing, uh, something, something along the lines of, you know how much you trust in yourself by how much you are given to prayer. And I just thought to myself, you know, that's so true. How much I believe in my own power, how much I believe in my own giftings, how much I believe in my own intellect, based upon how much time I'm given in prayer. It's so true, brethren. we got to understand that we are powerless, that we are need to be a people who are coming to God saying, help. Brethren, they lift up their voices to who in Acts 4? In Acts 12? To God! Why Him? Why Him? It's not rhetorical. Shout it out. Why Him? Yes, because He has the... He, brother, He possesses all power and authority. He's the One. you got to go to Him, Brethren. They recognize their need. They are a helpless, powerless people. And they go to the One who possesses all power, who will help you. We sang that song. I will help you. A firm foundation we have, brethren. We have a God who is pleased to hear the cry of help. Help me. Help. They run to the Lord, brethren. They run to the Lord. They go straight to God in prayer. And we read it there in Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from Yahweh, the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Brother, where does your help come from? It comes from the Lord. There He is, ready to help the Maker of heaven and earth. What does that tell us about God? He's the Creator. He spoke the universe into existence. Ought we not go to Him? Can we not go to Him as the all-powerful God who made heaven and earth? Most certainly, brethren. And He invites us to come. What a joy we have in prayer. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, brother, He tells us to come, to come to Him. To lift up our eyes to the Lord. To look to Him. Lord, I need You. Lord, I can't change my boss's heart. Lord, I can't change my mom or my dad's heart. Lord, I can't change this person's heart. Lord, we can't do this. We look to You, God. We look to You to do it because You have the power to do it and You're pleased to do it. He's come to save the world, brethren. You think God God hears the prayer to, 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 to save someone and goes, eh, Brethren, God's a Savior. 
He's a Savior. I want you to look also, uh, go to Second Chronicles, that passage that Nick had read in the, New, in the Old Testament reading. I want to point out a couple of things to you here that I think are really encouraging when we think of a posture of helplessness in prayer. Second Chronicles 20, the passage that, that Nick read. There is a situation right up there up front. The Moabites, the Ammonites, the Menuhites, they come against Jehoshaphat for battle. Jehoshaphat here is king of Judah. These three countries, they come against him with a great horde. A lot of men gathering for, for battle. Multitudes is coming against you from Edom beyond the sea. Then, verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid. Brother, you ever been afraid? Yeah. You ever been gripped by fear? That's not sinful, right? You ever been gripped by fear, brethren? Where do you run? Where do you run to when you're afraid? Brethren, we see here Jehoshaphat in response of his fear, set his face to seek Yahweh. He was resolved, brethren. Resolved. Singleness of purpose. He set his face to seek Yahweh, the God of hosts, the Lord of armies. And he proclaims a fast throughout all Judah. Verse 4, And Judah assembled to seek help from Yahweh. Brethren, they come together. They come together to seek help from Yahweh. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek Yahweh. You know what this isn't? You know what Jehoshaphat doesn't do? He doesn't tell all the people, hey, all people, go into your prayer closet. Go get alone with God. What happens here? What do they do? They assemble. They assemble together. Corporately. The corporate prayer meeting. Oh, it might be the biggest one in the whole Bible. I have no idea. Doesn't say how many people are here. But all of Judah assembles. They come together to seek the Lord for help, brethren, against this great horde who has come upon them. And then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of Yahweh. And then he prays. And he prays in this corporate gathering assembly of God's people. You see what I'm saying here? Well, there's a corporate prayer meeting. And look at what he says in verse number 6 at the end there before verse 7. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. And then he goes down in verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great whore that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Oh, brethren, that is the posture of prayer that honors God. We are powerless, Lord. <laughs> we don't know what to do. You ever not known what to do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, brethren, but where do you look? <laughs> where do you look? Jehoshaphat says, but our eyes are on you. Psalm 121, our eyes are up on the hills to the house of the Lord where Yahweh dwells. Our eyes are upon You, Lord. We are powerless. A confession of utter inadequacy. 
Lord, we're inadequate here. You ever felt inadequate? <laughs> you ever felt inadequate, brethren? Inadequate to share the gospel? Inadequate to maybe teach your wife or inadequate to communicate with your husband or inadequate in your parenting or inadequate in what have you? Anything, brethren. You ever just felt inadequate? Brothers, you ever come to the pulpit and just feel inadequate? You ever deal with the passage and said, Lord, I just, I can't. We're going to go to Peru, brethren, and go teach 40 or so men? <laughs> what do we have to offer? We got something to offer. Got, the, got what God has taught us in the scriptures. I feel very inadequate. <laughs> very inadequate. But, brother, in your inadequacy, where do you turn to for help? Got to turn to the Lord. And that's how it is to, ought to be at our prayer meetings. Lord, we can't do this. We want to go plant churches. We want to send missionaries. Go down to the abortion clinic. We feel inadequate. Yeah, you better believe it. But, Lord, we look to you. Our eyes are upon you, Lord. We're powerless against this, but not you, Lord. You're strong and mighty. Lord, all power and authority belong to you, Lord. We turn to you. We turn to you. Brethren, God is pleased to act when His people recognize their weakness and turn to Him. Isn't that what Paul said? Didn't Paul say that? Or actually, Jesus told that to Paul, remember? Uh, you can even turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians, not First Corinthians. I'm over there in Second. First Corinthians, chapter twelve. Remember, Paul has this thorn in his side. He prayed three times to the Lord to deliver it, deliver him from it. Verse four, or uh, let's go verse five. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of his revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, he would, that it should leave me. But he said to me, this is the words of the Lord, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Brethren, God's power is made perfect. Perfect, complete in our weakness. The NET translates it this way. My power comes to full strength in weakness. Brother, it's kind of like a meter. The, the weaker we are, the more, power, the more power of God working in our life. The stronger we think we are, little power. My power comes to full strength in weakness. So Paul says, well, then I will boast all the, more, all the more in my weaknesses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Brother, that's the key to all of it, is it not? 
Walking in a humility, walking in a helplessness, walking in a weakness. Why? So that our faith will not rest in, in, in our own ability, but in the power of the living God. That is the posture of prayer that honors the Lord. Earnestness, brethren. Desperation. Powerlessness. Our eyes fixed upon the Lord in help. That's when His power comes to full strength in us, brethren, and in our church. That's the posture of prayer. Now, I want us to see this. What is obtained through corporate prayer? What is obtained through corporate prayer? Go back to Luke chapter 24. That was also our New Testament reading. Jesus is about to ascend into glory at the right hand of the Father. He's been resurrected. And in Luke 24, verse 49, Jesus says this, Behold, I am sending the promise of My Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Stay in the, the, the promise of the Father. Brethren, what's the promise of the Father? The Spirit. The Spirit. The Spirit of the living God. So maybe it could be better headed here, not what is obtained, but who is obtained. Brethren, the Spirit is the promise of the Father. And what will the Spirit do, brethren? What, what, what will the Spirit do? He will empower the church for what? For what's that? Yes, to testify and be a witness of Christ. Isn't that what happens in Acts chapter 1 there? That's exactly what Jesus says. He says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Brethren, the Spirit empowers the church for witness. The Spirit empowers the church for conquest. For conquest, brethren, that's what He comes to do. The Spirit gives us the courage we need for battle. And brethren, we need courage. We need Him. We need the Spirit to come and to, and to empower us in our witness. We need because we can't do it on our own. And Jesus promises, you stay. You stay in Jerusalem. You don't move. And I'm sending the promise of My Father, the Spirit of God. He's going to come, brethren. He's going to come and He's going to clothe you with power from on high. Brethren, when the Spirit comes, He equips us to do battle with the enemy. And that's what we see in the Old Testament. You read the book of Judges and what happens? The Spirit of God, He comes upon the judges to do what? To do battle with the enemies. You see, with Gideon, the Spirit of God comes upon Gideon and it says there that he is clothed with the Spirit to go out and to fight the Midianites with only 300 men. Remember, he started out with, was it 22,000 men? I think that's what it was. And the Lord said, Gideon, too many people. Not enough. You're going you're gonna to boast in the victory. Cut him in half. 11,000 men. Too much. All right, one more test. The whole lapping of the dog test All right, and, and, and how they drink water. Windled it down to 300 men to go and fight the Midianites. A great horde of an army led by the Spirit of God. Why? So that God alone would get the victory. That He would get the praise. That He would get the credit for it. Clothed with the Spirit of God. Samson. The Spirit comes upon Samson. 
To do what? To battle the Philistines. To battle God's enemies and deliver God's people. David. The Spirit comes upon David. And what do you see David doing in the next chapter? Little shepherd boy David. The Spirit comes upon him and then what happens? He goes and he slays Goliath. Courage for the battle, brethren. That's what we need. We need courage in the battle. And Jesus tells the church here, brethren, don't you move a muscle. You stay in Jerusalem. And you wait until you are clothed with power from on high. You're going to need the Spirit of God. And brethren, how is the Spirit of God obtained here? He comes how? Through the praying of God's people. You get the promise. The Spirit is going to come and ascend you the Spirit. And then what do we find the church doing there in Acts chapter 1, verse 14? They're devoting themselves to prayer. They are gathered in the upper room together praying and pleading. I think undoubtedly praying that God would do what He had promised to do, send the Spirit. Lord, you said to wait here until we clothe the power on high. Lord, send your Spirit. Send Him, Lord. We're not moving a muscle. We are gathered in corporate prayer. And the Spirit comes. He comes in Acts chapter 2, brethren, and He fills His people. And His people go out and they proclaim the Gospel. And we see it over and over and over again in the book of Acts. The people of God are filled with the Spirit in response to prayer to go out and to do battle with the enemy. Brethren, as the church prays, she receives the Spirit. This is what we see here. The church devoted to prayer. Next chapter, the people are filled with the Spirit. Brethren, I want to look back at... I want to show you something. Go, go to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. The Spirit, He is obtained through prayer, brethren. Look at this. Luke chapter 3. Starting in verse 21. Luke 3.21 Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are My beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. What is Jesus doing here? After he's... The other Gospel writers don't include this. Only Luke does. Did you catch that? What is Jesus doing after He's baptized? Before the Spirit ascends on Him like a dove and the heavens are open. He's praying, brethren. That's fascinating. Because in the other accounts, Jesus baptized... And then the spirits are, are and then, the, and then the, the heavens are opened, and then the spirit descends. But here in Luke, Jesus is baptized and he's praying. He's praying. And in response to his prayers, the spirit comes upon him, church. You see that there. Brethren, we need to be a people praying for the Spirit of God to come, to come and to empower us. And what does the Spirit do for Jesus here? It equips Him for His mission. For His work. Brethren, He was a man just like you're a man. or just like, He was a human being, brethren. Empowered by the Spirit of God. 
Nick preached a great sermon on this, I don't know, a long time ago. Jesus was a man empowered by the Spirit of God. And that Spirit is obtained while praying. While praying here. And brother, what are we... What are we told to do in Luke chapter thir- chapter 11? Flip over there. Luke chapter 11. We get all these promises here, brethren. The Lord teaching us about prayer. And you know what He says here? What father among you, Luke 11, 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? (laughs) Brethren, you got to ask. You have to ask. Jesus promises, brethren, that the Father will answer prayer and specifically that the Father answers prayer for the Spirit. And church, we often overlook this or we may be afraid to pray like this because we don't want to seem too Pentecostal. Brethren, we're not Pentecostal enough. We need to be a people full of the Spirit of God. A Pentecostal people. A Pentecostal people. Again, Acts chapter 2, brethren. Spirit comes and fills them. And there's boldness to go out and proclaim the Gospel of Christ. We need to pray, church. Pray in desperation for the Spirit to come and empower our lives. Church, do you pray for the Spirit of God? Do you pray for the Spirit to fill you? To empower you to speak? That's biblical, church. Paul commands you, be filled with the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. We are promised if you ask for the Spirit, the Father will give Him to you. We need Him, church. You need Him. You ought to pray. You ought to pray. Brother, you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. You pray for the Spirit to come and be of help to you. Brother, you ought to pray for greater and greater manifestations of the Spirit in your own life. Power from God. Do you not want that? <laughs> Do we not need that? Most certainly. Jesus says you got to ask. Ask. The Spirit, brethren, He is obtained through prayer. And He comes to empower the church for her mission to testify of the Gospel of grace, brethren. As the church prays, we see it here in Acts, as the church prays, God answers by filling them with... In Acts 4, when they pray for boldness, how does the boldness come? What did it say there? Go back to Acts 4. Acts 4. And that prayer meeting, verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats 
and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness. And then verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The Spirit comes in answer to prayer. I want you to see that, brethren. And don't be afraid to pray that. That is a good thing. We ought to want the power of the Spirit of God. He comes, church, in answer to prayer. Third thing, brethren, what is accomplished through corporate prayer? When the church is devoted to prayer, the posture is of earnestness and helplessness in prayer. When the church is filled with the Spirit of God in response to prayer, what do we see happen in Acts? When these things are happening, brethren, when you read Acts, you see two things. You see a people devoted to corporate prayer and you see constant victory and advancement of the Gospel. Constantly. Go back to Acts chapter 1. I want to sweep through this again. I want this to encourage you. This is encouraging. Not to despise the corporate prayer meeting. Not to think little of it. Look at, look at what flows out of this. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They're devoted to prayer. Acts chapter 2. They are filled with the Spirit of God. Peter preaches and 3,000 souls get saved. Praise the Lord. Advancement. Victory. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John go down to the hour of prayer. They're committed to the gathering of the saints for the prayer meeting. And what happens? They, 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 they heal this lame beggar. And this kicks off a series of events here. Peter preaches to the people. See, I'm not going to read through this. I'm just going to tell you what happens in Acts chapter 3. He's healed. He's preaching to the people. And then look at Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The story continues right into this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests... Oh, that's not Acts 4. Uh, Acts 4.1. That's right. Yep. Down in verse 4. Acts 4.4. 4. But many of those who had heard the Word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Peter and John go to the hour of prayer. They're going to the prayer meeting, brethren. They heal a lame man. They're filled with the Spirit of God again. And then they come in and they preach the Word. And then the number of men comes to 5,000. The Gospel is advancing. Now you look at Acts chapter 4, verse 31. There it is again. They're praying for boldness. They're in this corporate prayer meeting. They are filled with the Spirit of God. And then look what happens in Acts chapter 5, Verse 14, they're going out, they're speaking the Word with all boldness. And then in the next chapter, brethren, 5.14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. More than ever. You have a corporate prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4, and the next chapter, multitudes are being added to the church. Acts chapter 4, verse 6, we looked at this. The apostles... We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word 
And then three verses later, the Word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. There it is right there. Devoting ourselves to prayer and the Word. Three verses later, the disciples are multiplying greatly. Acts 13, church. Go there. In the context, again, corporate prayer. They're sending off Paul and Barnabas. And they're sending them out to plant churches. To spread the Gospel. That the blessing of God would be upon these men and their mission. And you don't need to go... Th or I'm not going to go through here for you. But we see it. Churches are planted. Souls are being brought into the kingdom. There is a bold advance of the kingdom that comes through corporate prayer when the church is filled with the Spirit of God. God is saving people. That is what is going on. And then you go to Acts chapter 16. And I want to spend a little time here. Acts chapter 16. So you get kind of the pattern here, right? There's some sort of prayer meeting, Spirit of God, there's salvation happening here. So then you read of this conversion of Lydia, verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. Now who's the we here? Well, we got uh, Paul and Silas are being sent out on their, on their missionary journey. They pick up Luke there in Lystra. And then the we, of course, is Luke. Okay, so you got these four brothers, and they are going down to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed a place of prayer was. Now listen, what's going to happen here? Someone's coming out of here saved. There's going to be some kind of advancement of the gospel. And look at what happens here. We sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman of uh, uh, Lydia from, from Thyatira, worshiper, purple goods, um, or not a worshiper, she was a seller of purple goods and a worshiper of God. She was a Gentile convert to Judaism, but not yet brought into the gospel. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her and her household, she urged them, saying, If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Next verse. And we were going to the place of prayer. They're going back to the prayer meeting, brethren. And what happens here is that they meet this demon-possessed girl. And, and, and Paul is greatly annoyed by her. So Paul casts his demon out of her. And then her uh, fortune-telling uh, owners get all upset. There's this big, uh, this big uh, disturbing of the city going on, this, 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 this riot going on, and then they put Paul and Silas in jail. Right? In verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Oh boy, here we go again with this. Right? They got a little corporate prayer meeting in this jail cell. And what's happening after these corporate prayer meetings? Someone's getting saved, brethren. God's saving people here. And then what happens here? The Philippian jailer gets saved. Right? And brethren, what I want to just show, I want to encourage you. This is, what, this, is, this is the model. 
God's people get together to, to pray. They're faithful. They go out. God saves people. But I want you to see something here. I want you to see something. In Where did all this happen at? Verse 12. Where did this happen at? Where is all this taking place at? Philippi. Right? Yes, in Macedonia. Philippi. Right? Okay? And when, and when you hear the word Philippi, what do, you, what do you hear? What should you... What's that? Philippians, right? Okay? Yeah, Philippians. Now, I want, I want you to see this. Brethren, through all of this, there's a church established here in Philippi. Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, they come into Philippi. All of these things are going on. And then we have a church established. Brethren, we have a New Testament book or letter inspired by the living God that was birthed out of a women's prayer meeting. Do you see that? These women are out of the city, out of the gate, by the riverside. Paul says, we went there. Or, or, or Luke says, we went there because we supposed there was a place of prayer. And here are these women. And these women are by this riverside outside the gate on the Sabbath having a prayer meeting. And this kicks off a whole series of events. Lydia hears the gospel. She gets saved. They go back to the prayer meeting. There's this demonic slave girl coming. Paul casts her out, stirs up strife. They get thrown in jail. The Philippian jailer gets saved. Boom, we have a church birthed. We have a letter. We have an inspired book from the living God that was birthed out of a women's prayer meeting. Do you see that? Does that not encourage you? Brethren, these women were so faithful to gather for prayer. They were so faithful to gather for prayer that when Luke, Timothy, Silas, and Paul came into town, they heard about the prayer meeting. They heard, oh yeah, there's some women, they're down there, and they always, they're always there by the riverside praying. And they went there. You think these women thought that, oh, we're going to have a book that's going to be birthed out of this prayer meeting and a church and a New Testament letter. No, they didn't think that. They're just being faithful to get together to pray. Does that not encourage you? Do we not have a God who does exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think? Is that not our God? <laughs> These women are just being faithful. They're just devoting themselves to prayer. And God was pleased to use them. He sent Paul right to their prayer meeting. I love that. He sent Paul right to their prayer meeting. Got the church, and we got a book of the Bible, brethren. I that is so encouraging to me, and I want that to be encouraging to you. God will move, brethren, if we'd be faithful to pray, to come and to lay out our petitions to God. And but you know what, brethren, this is the temptation, right? And I know this, Manny. That was two thousand years ago. These kind of things don't happen anymore. That's the temptation. That's the temptation. God doesn't do these kinds of things anymore. Constant victory. Where's that at? Brethren, listen. Every single revival. You open up any kind of book on revival. Any book on revival. 
it is always, it always, always, always happens and is birthed out of prayer meetings. God's people getting together to pray. Always. God sends revival, brother, when God's people are gathered to pray. And I want to give you one example of this in closing here. One example. Jonathan Edwards. You heard of him? Hopefully. 1748. Okay? He's been said to be the greatest theologian ever produced on American soil. Alright? Amen, right? I think so. That's what it says. Yep. Heard that somewhere. In 1748, he publishes a little book. And this is the title of it. Now buckle up, this is a long title. A Humble Attempt to Promote Explicit Agreement and Visible Union of God's People and Extraordinary Prayer for the Revival of Religion and the Advancement of Christ's Kingdom on Earth Pursuant to Scripture promises and prophecies concerning the last time. That's a mouthful. Okay, Amen. That's a great title. That was a title, dear sister. That's right. And the whole point of this little book was to call God's people to get together corporately to pray. To pray. Because he believed and he looked at the Scriptures and particularly his, his main text is Zechariah chapter 8, verse 20 and 22. That was, his, that was his text he based this off of. But his whole point was to get God's people together to pray. Because he believed that God's Gospel would advance here on earth in time before the end would come. Just like 1 Corinthians 15 says. That there would be a move of, of God to save the world. But he believed that it would come through prayer. Through God's people getting together in corporate prayer to plead. So this happens in 1748. Now listen. In 1784, almost 40 years later, John Ryland Jr., John Sutcliffe, William Carey, and Andrew Fuller are there in England. And they get their hands on this little book. And after reading it, they are stirred up. These are, these are four men. They all pastor separate churches. They're in England. They're all friends. And they get together and they begin to establish prayer meetings all over England, brethren, all over their cities, once a month to, quote, pray for the revival of our churches and the spread of the Gospel. And prayer meetings begin to pop up all over the place. God's people are beginning to give themselves to prayer. Lord, move. Lord, advance the Gospel. Lord, and this is important because in this time, I don't have a time to go into this, the church is entrenched in no missionary activity and little to no evangelism. Missionaries are not being sent here. Okay? The, the, the church here in, in, in England and in America, they're not sending missionaries. A few people here and there, but for the most part, they are entrenched, not doing, the, they're not evangelizing, they're not sending out missionaries. So that's, that's the context here. And these men become burdened about this, brethren. And they begin to pray, and they begin to pray, and there's prayer meetings popping up everywhere. And that's in 1784. Brethren, in 1793, just under 10 years later, Carrie, the father of modern missions, is launched out to India. And followed by him is Adoniram Judson from the West. 
And this kicks off an entire missionary movement when the church was entrenched with no missionary activity. God is pleased and was pleased to move. To move on the hearts of men and to answer the prayers of these people for revival and for the sending out of missionaries that Christ's kingdom would advance here on earth. And you could read about this kind of stuff all, all the way up until the 1900s. Brethren, whenever there's a movement of God, it's always because it's birthed out of prayer. We got to see that. And we have, and I, I know Nick has books, and Aaron has books, and I have books that go into the history of revival. Whenever, brethren, there's always a prayer meeting. People are praying. Jim Elliott, he's a more modern example. There in Wheaton College. Remember Jim Elliott? You ever heard of him? Uh, he was killed in uh, Ecuador. Um, you can watch a torch ladders about him if you want. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, him, him and uh, four other brothers and their families went to Ecuador. They were killed by Alka Indians there. Okay? But the point is this, brethren, that before that, when he was at Wheaton College, he started a 24-hour round-the-clock prayer meeting. 24-hour round-the-clock prayer. People signed up to pray in these slots for revival and for the sending of the Gospel. And it was birthed out of that, brethren. God is pleased to move when we devote ourselves to prayer. Victory. This is happening now. It's happening all It happens in our own church. It happens, brethren, when we commit ourselves to pray. God saves. He saves, brethren. There's a bold advance of the Gospel. So, brethren, I want you to see this. I want you to be encouraged by it. See the church devoted to prayer. See the posture of prayer. Earnestness, weakness, helplessness, looking to the Lord. See who is obtained in prayer. It's the Spirit of God. He comes, brethren. We have to pray for Him. Ask. The Father will give the Spirit to those who ask Him. We need to be a people asking. And brethren, see what's accomplished in the corporate prayer meeting. It's the advancement of the Gospel. And church, don't despise it. Don't despise our prayer meeting. God is pleased to move he hears you. He hears you. Brethren, may we be devoted, devoted to the times of prayer for the glory of Christ. Let's pray.